Will you please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Ecclesiastes 9. You'll need a Bible to follow along with the message. These uh, brothers have some Bibles as they make their way to the back. If you need one, just get their attention. They'll get one of those to you. And it's marked for you at Ecclesiastes 9. You can keep that Bible as well. It's our gift to you. We want everybody to own a copy of God's Word. Ecclesiastes, we are closing in on the end of our study through Ecclesiastes. There are 13 chapters. We're in chapter 9. We're going to finish chapter 9 today. We have four additional messages. So almost there. Today, Ecclesiastes 9. One of the many evidences of God's grace to us is that we're surprised when bad things happen. The disease diagnosis, the loss of job, the loss of a friend or a loved one, the car accident, many other kinds of mishaps are the exceptions to the rule. Most of the time, things go well and within an expected routine, most of it good or at least neutral. So the relative infrequency of bad things is evidence of God's grace, but also reveals our view of ourselves and that we think we deserve better. When someone talks about how terrible their life is, it's almost always because they failed to count their many blessings. And that's because they think they deserve more than what they've received. When one complains about the difficulties that come into their life from time to time, it's an indication that they think they deserve better. And one of the indications that we think indeed that we are better than we are, is that we're surprised when bad things happen to us. So let's ask ourselves, from a biblical perspective, and truth that the Bible teaches about ourselves, that we are sinners who've rebelled against God and who are liable to His just punishment, then with that, what is it that we all deserve? How do you react when things don't go as you expect or want? Even when we're thankful, it's usually for what we've been given, not for what God has withheld. We say things like, I'm blessed beyond what I deserve. And we're thinking of things like our families and our homes and our jobs and our health, all of which indeed are things to be thankful for. But we need to remind ourselves regularly of this. That anything that I get in this life that is better than hell is more than I deserve. So it's not just I'm thankful for what God has given. I'm also thankful for what God has withheld. His righteous judgment upon me, upon you. And we need to remind ourselves of that because God's grace in the hands of ungrateful people makes us feel entitled. Deep down, most of us think we deserve more, and so we're surprised and perhaps even angry when things go awry. Forgetting that because of sin, good should be the exception. And it's only God's grace that makes it otherwise. Now, perhaps it's just me, but I hear this in the voices of people who win a lottery or some other expected windfall that they get. When they say things like, I've never won a single thing in my entire life. Or my ship has finally come in. They've lived their entire lives expecting their ship. 
their winning ticket, and now finally they've gotten what they deserve. Well, today as we continue in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see a passage that teaches us to curb our expectations because things can and do go wrong. And further, that they don't go wrong more often is indeed an indication of God's grace. It may well not turn out as you planned. So you should plan on that. You should plan on it not turning out the way you planned. Because that happens in a fallen world. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, here we are before you in this sacred assembly of your people with your word in front of us. We ask you then, Lord, to speak to us through it. May we receive it. May we welcome it. May we accept it as it is indeed your word and not the word of man. Convict us where we need that. Encourage us where we need that. But Lord, instruct us from your word so that we can leave better equipped to serve you and to show your character through our lives to an onlooking world. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, every week for our message, we have an outline inserted in your program. If you don't have that out as yet, please do take that out. And if you're not somebody who's accustomed to, like, looking at your Bible when I'm talking or looking at the outline when I'm talking, and I don't know who all that is, but I just encourage you to do both. We'll be looking at two things, the Bible and the outline. So have those in front of you, if at all possible. And in the outline... First of all, I say this, that success is unpredictable. Success is unpredictable. Now, I say that for reasons we'll see in today's passage. Back in verse number 2 of chapter 9, it tells us that good things do not necessarily happen to even relatively good people. Verse 2 says this, All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. Now, when he said this, Solomon, who wrote it, was thinking in moral categories. The same things and the same end come to everyone, good or evil. And now, verse 11 takes the same basic principle and it applies it to people's various talents. Teaching what I say in the outline, that advantages do not guarantee success. So success is unpredictable and advantages do not guarantee it. Normally, we would expect things to go well with people who have strong abilities. And often they do. But having speed or strength or smarts does not guarantee success. So verse 11 says this. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food. Literally, the word translated food is bread. It's often used as a synonym for livelihood. So a livelihood does not necessarily come, verse 11 goes on, to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor, favor that's speaking of a good reputation to the learned, the skillful, but rather time and chance happen to them all. Now one preacher summarized and explained it this way. 
Using computer terminology, verse 11 is saying input does not always determine output. That runs counter to our inbred belief system. We somehow believe that if we push all the right buttons in life, happiness and success are guaranteed. But Solomon says that input does not always determine output. No race, no endeavor is absolutely predictable. There are other factors involved. It says time and chance happen to them all. And the the term time here is used to speak of timing. The timing of the events of our lives impact our advantages. Just because you graduate at the top of your class does not mean that you will be able to find a job if none is available. And then it also uses the word chance. Chance happens to all individuals, whether they are wealthy or the skilled. Now today, when we speak of chance, we most often refer to the processes of our universe that are viewed as taking place apart from any divine control, apart from any divine impact or plan. We're thinking of random chance. That's not Solomon's viewpoint. In fact, he told us back in chapter 3 that there is a time that's been determined under heaven for everything. So when Solomon uses the word chance, he refers to that which is beyond our control. He's referring to occurrences that are unforeseen. There will always be the unforeseen and something that you cannot control in whatever endeavor you pursue, no matter what your advantages are. Now consider the people that are mentioned in verse 11. For the marathon runner, there may be a hole in the path that twists his ankle, though he's the fastest. For the strong in battle, there may be a weakness in the metal of his sword, causing it to break and the warrior to be defeated. For the wise, drought may wipe away the crop. For the brilliant, the one who invests for gain, a ship may sink in the sea, wiping away all of his capital. For the learned or the skillful, a false rumor may destroy his reputation. There are always things beyond our control. Canadian humorist Stephen Leacock said, I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. Solomon's not saying here that because there are unforeseen events, we should sit back and do nothing. No, we need to understand events and understand this principle and come to grips with this truth. You cannot approach life and say, If I can just have the right school, the right job, the right spouse, attend the right seminar, have the right home, and all the other things that the world offers, then I'm going to have happiness and success. Because you do not know what's going to happen. You do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. So this unforeseen can nullify our advantages. And verse 12 teaches that success is unpredictable because... Mishaps can always interrupt it. Mishaps can always interrupt it. Verse 12, moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. Now this is talking not about death, but about the hour of misfortune. The difficulty that comes along that causes the race not to go to the swift or the battle not to go to the strong and so on. And then it gives some examples of misfortune from nature in verse 12. Verse 12 says, As fish are caught in a cruel net, 
Where birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. The fish and the birds get caught before they know it. If they had realized that they were swimming into a net or they were flying into a snare, they would have gone in the opposite direction. But by the time they were trapped, it was too late to escape. And the same thing happens to people. Before we know it, we can be trapped in a bad situation at work, afflicted with a fatal disease, or caught in a financial tsunami. The book of James James famously instructs on how we should respond. James says, whenever we face trials of many kinds. Notice, when we face those, not if, we will. And the word that's translated face when we face these things is the same word that's translated fell among in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave. Jesus said there, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. It's the same word that's used in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Whenever you face, whenever you fall into difficulties, trials of various kinds. So the idea is is we go through life and we just fall into difficulty sometimes. Difficulty that's beyond our control to stop. It often just comes upon us. It overtakes us. So one commentator says, life is unpredictable. Its misfortunes are inevitable and often inescapable. In his mercy, God tells us to expect the unexpected. When hardship comes, even when it comes very suddenly, we should not be surprised. Nor when life is good, should we think that our own natural abilities will spare us from having hard times. No matter how gifted we are or how well prepared or how many advantages we have in life, we too may suffer an evil day. Now, with all of that, we may be tempted to give up and to think there's nothing that we can do except resign ourselves to our fate. After all, if the race does not go to the swift, then why run at all? If the battle is not won by the strong, then why prepare for war? If getting smart will not get you more money, why bother to develop your mind? Since it all comes down to chance anyway, fatalism might appear to be the only honest option. But Solomon gives a different response. He commends the relative value of earthly wisdom. And he tells us to live wisely, but in light of the truth that he's just given. Verses 13 through 15 give an example of wisdom. Verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. Now he's going to go on to give the example. But he says, what I'm going to tell you is something that greatly impressed me. He's saying, don't miss this. It's important if you're going to understand the fleeting nature of success. And here it is, verse 14. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it. And built huge siege works against it. Now in those days, cities had walls for protection and for fortification. If they had resources within the city that limited the potential of being starved out, then the enemy had no other recourse but to take the walls of the city. 
And the safest way for them to do that was to build a ramp of dirt, an earthen ramp to the top of the wall, and then the soldiers would march over it. The Bible describes the Assyrians doing this very thing in the book of Habakkuk. It says they laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Some of you may know the story from history of the Romans doing this to a mountaintop fortress called Masada in 70 AD. The Roman army built a ramp that to this day can be seen ascending the valley floor thousands of feet into the air to the top of Masada. And when the Roman soldiers entered the city, they found all but a few who had hidden had committed suicide rather than be killed or captured by the Romans. But in Solomon's story, there's a very different outcome. Verse 15. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what this poor man did to save the city. In his wisdom, he may have suggested to the city's officials a particular diplomatic tact or a military strategy. But whatever it was, it saved the city. And you'd think now this guy would be a hero. And perhaps all the more a hero because of his humble position as a poor man. But instead, the end of verse 15 says this. But nobody remembered that poor man. You see, success is unpredictable. And, I say in your outline, success may be short-lived. It's unpredictable and it may be short-lived. Even if one is not poor but does some great things, it still may not be honored as you would think it would be. The first President Bush, George H.W. Bush, oversaw the dismantling of the Soviet Empire. And he also led an international coalition of countries to remove Iraq from Kuwait A victory that was won in swift and decisive fashion. And after all of that, in March 1991, the Gallup poll said he enjoyed an approval rating of 89%. Now, just by way of comparison, the current president's approval rating is 36%. March of 1991, 89% approval. Just a year and a half after that 89% approval rating... He garnered only 37% of the vote for re-election, losing to Bill Clinton. Success may be short-lived. Verse 16, Solomon then says, So I said, wisdom is better than strength, to be sure. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. And the moral of the story is, recognize that wisdom is indeed valuable, but restrain your expectations. Do not live life with the expectation that what you do will bring personal happiness as it impacts the lives of others. Success is unpredictable, and it may be short-lived. And thirdly, success can be easily overturned. Verse 17. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. 
So this ruler is not only ruling fools, but he is one himself, as evidenced by the fact that he loudly spouts off whatever comes to mind. The shouting of a foolish ruler draws more attention in our society than the quiet words of the wise. Those of you who were alive in 1960, I was born two years later, still remember Nikita Khrushchev of Russia at the United Nations shouting and pounding his shoe, literally pounding his shoe on the table as he talked. If one wishes to draw a crowd, if one wishes to be on the evening news, then just try shouting ludicrous slogans or, in our day, tweeting nonsense and 140 characters. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Just as in verse 17, where it says the quiet words of the wise are better than the shouts of a foolish ruler, so also wisdom is better than strength as weapons of war. Wisdom can deliver a city even when it's surrounded by superior military might. But Solomon adds, one sinner destroys much good. Hear this, friends. Destruction is much faster than construction. Tearing something down, destroying what has been put in place can happen much, much faster than the years it took to build it. Wisdom is vulnerable to being overturned by the influence of foolishness. Think of King Rehoboam in your Bible. When he came to the throne of Israel. His older counselors advised him as he was taking the throne to lighten the harsh labor that the people had been under. But he disregarded their wise counsel and he turned to his younger counselors, the Bible tells us, and they advised him this way. They said, tell the people, I will make it even heavier. You were scourged. You were scourged with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And Rehoboam then followed this foolish advice, and as a result, he lost ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. It only takes one sinner, one fool, to destroy much good. So verse 10, the first verse in verse 10, says, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. In English, we would say one rotten apple spoils the whole bushel. And the contrast, again, is between one and many, between little and much. You can hardly see the little dead flies, but when they fall into the perfumer's fragrant ointment, the whole batch gives off a foul odor. A few dead flies can spoil a large, expensive batch of perfume. And so Solomon says, a little foolishness outweighs wisdom and honor. We would say an ounce of foolishness outweighs a pound of wisdom. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So what do we do with all of that? How are we to live? How are we to respond to what Solomon has told us about our pursuits in life and our expectations of success in them? How should we live, especially in a world where time and chance happen to all of us? Life is so uncertain. We may suffer loss or hardship at any moment. And even if we're swift, we may lose the race. Even if we're strong, we may get defeated in battle. Even if we're smart, we may suffer poverty. 
nor do we know how much time we have left. So what's the wisest way for us to use the time that we have? Well, I want to give you a number of things. They're not in your outline, but if you care to jot them down. But the first is, of course, to give our lives to Jesus Christ. This means asking him to be our savior, praying that he'll forgive our sins by the blood that he shed on the cross. It also means submitting to him as our Lord, offering our whole lives for his service. That's certainly the wisest thing that anyone can do. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes mainly looks at things from the perspective of human wisdom, as we've seen over and over and again today from under the sun. And that perspective is valuable as far as it goes. But there's also a divine wisdom from above the sun, which alone can save us. The Bible says this, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Now, the point is not that God is foolish, of course, but rather that if he were, even his foolishness would be wiser than our wisdom. And so if we want to be wise, we need the wisdom of God. And the way we get that wisdom is simply to ask God for it. James chapter 1 and verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The primary way that God answers our prayer for wisdom is by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, whom the Bible identifies as the very wisdom of God. And one way to see the wisdom of Jesus is to see how perfectly he illustrates the story that Solomon told about a city that was saved by wisdom. Now, the story that we've just gone through is not a prophecy of Jesus, but it's a fair analogy for his saving work. Jesus was as poor as anyone. He was homeless and destitute and therefore totally dependent on God the Father for his daily bread. But he was also wiser than anyone, as we know from all the wise things that he said. And by his wisdom, Jesus delivered the lost city, as it were, of fallen humanity. The devil was coming against that city with all the powers of hell, but Jesus delivered us all by himself. And how did he do it? He did it through something that seemed foolish at the time, but actually turned out to be wise for salvation. He saved our city by dying on the cross and then rising again. Giving our lives to Jesus Christ in all his wisdom is the wisest decision that we can ever make. And when you do that, then your future is totally secure. We then know for certain that when we die, we go to heaven. We also know that whatever happens in this life, we have a loving Lord and Savior who will be with us and he will help us and take care of us. Time and chance may indeed happen to all, but they also happen under God's control. Thanks be to God. When we trust in him, therefore, we know that our lives are kept safe in the hands of our Savior, which is by far the wisest place for us to be. And once we give our lives to Christ, there are many other things it's wise for us to do, especially so in uncertain times. Even though all of our days are numbered, and even though time and chance will happen to us all, there's still a long list of things that it would be wise for us to do, not just in human and practical terms, but also in supernatural and spiritual terms. So as a tool for self-examination, consider which items 
from this list as I continue it that are important for you to hear and obey. And I'm indebted to commentator Philip Riken for these suggestions. He says it's wise, of course, first of all, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then it's wise for us to be thankful. Receive Christ. Be thankful. When trouble overtakes us, when we lose the race we thought we were fast enough to win or the battle that we thought we were strong enough to fight, it's easy to get discouraged. Things may not be going well at home, at school, or at work, but if we're wise, we'll remember to celebrate God's blessings every day. And we'll thank God with joy for the basic provision of our daily bread, for the blessing of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the beautiful world that he's made, and for all the benefits that we have in Jesus. Be thankful. At the same time, here's a third thing. Be content. When life has turned out to be a huge disappointment and our future seems uncertain, it's easy to complain that God's not giving us what we want or telling us what we need to know. But wisdom is content with whatever God gives and whatever God does not give, including usually very limited information about the future. Either we can go through life grumbling, which never changes anything anyway and can only add to our unhappiness, or we can accept whatever God decides to do or not to do. Further, it's wise for us to be prayerful. This is wise because God loves to answer godly prayer. Therefore, if things are truly needed, we should go to God and ask for them. Prayer is wise because it helps to remind us who's in charge. God is in charge, so we come to him asking him rather than dictating to him. Prayer also gives us something to do with our worry and our anxiety. God does not want us to be anxious about anything but to trust him in everything, Philippians 4, 6. And prayer teaches us to be humble which is another important part of wisdom. Rather than putting confidence in our own abilities, whether physical or intellectual, the vagaries of time and chance should teach us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to let God use our talents however he wants them to be used. Further, if we're wise, we'll strive to be generous. In difficult times, it's tempting to want to hold on to everything we have. But God has promised to bless a cheerful giver. If we feel uncertain about the future, we should give more of our stuff and more of ourselves away for Christ's mission because only what's done for Christ will last anyway. Two more. Wisdom is also faithful. If the swift and the strong do not always win, it's tempting to think that nothing we do matters. But wisdom teaches exactly the opposite. If the future is unpredictable, then we need to leave the results of what we do up to God. We need to do the things that God has called us to do and then trust him to use what we do however he pleases. And if we do this, we of all people ought to be, lastly, be hopeful. Far from making us fatalistic, knowing that time and chance happen to all, This should teach us to put our hope in God. Despite our best efforts, we can't control what happens. But if we're wise, we'll put our confidence in the God who knows the future. We'll remind ourselves again and again that Jesus is coming. We may not know our time, but we do know Jesus. 
which also means that we know what will happen to us at the end of our time and at the end of this world. Our wise Savior will deliver us from all of our troubles. All of this helps us to know how to handle life's setbacks and to live with life's uncertainties. Now, a practical down-to-earth example comes from a missionary serving in a Muslim part of the Middle East. Her family had been going through hard times, but she knew how to handle those hard times wisely. She wrote a letter to her supporters back home, and she listed some of the hardships. But she also listed right next to the hardships a better and wiser way of looking at each circumstance. She wrote, there's deep spiritual oppression and harassment here. But she also wrote, we're privileged to shine as stars in this black night. She wrote that mail and packages and a wallet were stolen and our phone were tapped, phone was tapped. But then she said, these are great reminders that our lives are not our own. She wrote that no longer do we have the convenience of a car. And then she said, no longer do we have the expense of a car. She wrote, we have very dangerous driving conditions in traffic. But I'm thankful we have a good trans, a good public transportation system to use. She wrote that these are t- tight and challenging times that we're facing. And she said, these give us many opportunities to prayerfully trust the Lord. She said, mud-colored tap water flows from our faucets. And she said, but sparkling, life-giving water flows from our lives. She said, there are many aggressive viruses and lingering illnesses. But we have truly thankful spirits for his healing touch. And then she said, we have a cold apartment, especially cold when you have the flu. But we have hot drinks, blankets, massages, and prayers that warm us up. If we're wise, we'll ask God for the grace to live the same way. Thankful for our many blessings, content with what we have, prayerful about every difficulty, faithful in doing God's work, and hopeful about the future. Even though you do not know how much time you have, you can use this time wisely, taking every chance that we have as an opportunity to trust in Jesus and to live for him. And so your take-home truth is this. Faithfulness is success. You be faithful with the time God gives you. And no matter what comes out, no matter what the outcome is, you will be successful. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, thank you for gathering us and speaking to us from your word. Now, Lord, we ask you to help us. Help us to put into practice the wisdom that you've dispensed to us. Help us to be these very kind of people that are thankful people, that are prayerful people, that are faithful people, content people, hopeful people. Lord, help us to be that today, this afternoon, this coming week. Lord, we don't know what curveballs are going to come our way, but help us to expect the unexpected and to know that even though they are unknown to us, they are all known to you and that we are in your loving hand. Help us to live that way 
so that we show something different, different than what the world does. They all experience mishaps. They all believe they deserve better. But they experience those or should much differently than we as Christians. May our light shine in darkness because we depend on you, come what may. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.